Hi again, this is Joseph Carlson, and this is episode 7 of Gaming with Grief. And uh, if you don't know, if you just joined me or for some reason clicked on episode 7, it's just me dealing with grief in my life through games, board games, card games, video games, all that kind of stuff. Past couple years, my parents have passed away. Uh, My my wife had miscarriages. She had three miscarriages. Uh, Two of our children passed away, and one was very early on in the pregnancy. So um, anyway, uh, to start out the episode, I'm trying to get in the habit of doing this. I am not a licensed therapist. I'm not... uh, you know, I don't have a degree in anything. I'm only trying to share my experience so that way maybe if other people feel the same way, then, you know, maybe we could talk about this stuff together. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me, uh, you can either leave a comment under the video, which just the website is www.gamingwithgrief.com. Um, it's a Squarespace website. Uh, I have enabled comments. You can leave a comment below and just let me know what you think of the site. It's very plain. It's really just a portal to get the podcast out there. And I'm still working on getting it to iTunes, so apparently I'm very bad at that. So, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, long story short, um, I'm not a licensed therapist. Again, I'm sharing this just with you guys. I am going to therapy. My wife and I are going to therapy. It's helping out a lot. Um so again, I'm just here to share my experience with gaming. And last week, um, there's still some people that have passed away in my life and everything that are important, but, uh, everything was getting pretty heavy, uh, you know, just talking about people that had passed away. So, uh, this week I actually wanted to play a game and talk to you guys about gaming in general and how it's kind of helped me, uh, deal with stuff. And there's two big things. One, I mentioned in last week's episode, I was going to play an old game that my father bought for me years ago called... Crystallis that came out on the SNES apparently in 1990, which I did not know. And um, I purchased it through the SNK bundle, the 40th anniversary collection that was on Nintendo Switch. And I played Crystallis. It's the only thing I played to the collection. Um, and played for probably like an hour and a half today. I'm recording this on Sunday, by the way. The episode will go up Monday at 7 a.m. So um, long story short, I played Crystallis for... Uh, probably an hour and a half or so, and it brought me back. I keep forgetting. Uh, in older games, you have to manually save. So, uh, yeah, you know, manually saving's a thing. When you die, just randomly exploring, um, yeah, not so good. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, it was fun. It really did take me back. My father, years ago, bought me the game, and he was a smoker. So what he did is he would sit in the couch and smoke, and watch me play games, which I think he was okay with. He did it quite a bit. Um, and he watched me play this game all the way to the end. And I think this game is my favorite game, not because my father bought it for me or anything like that. It was one of many games he got for me along with my mother, but I think it was the circumstances around me getting the game. One, my father had a friend who was really into gaming. He was my age now, probably, in his late 30s, early 40s, uh, when I was young, when I was like 12 or uh, I think I was like 12 or 13 when the, I'm trying to think of 90, that would have been, yeah, it would have been 12. So I probably put the game, it was middle school, so yeah, I was like 13 probably. I wasn't in high school yet. Um, but we would go over to this guy's house. I'm not going to say his name. He's probably passed actually, but um, he just had a lot of NES games and mag, like Nintendo Powers and stuff, and he liked the game, and him and my dad would talk about things. 
And I would sit there and play. You know, I was bored because they're adults at the time, and it was boring to hear them talk about whatever they were talking about. And so I just asked to play the guys' games. He had the NES hooked up. Um, and I just ran into this game and started playing it. And I think this person played it too, but he watched me play it, and he said he didn't really remember it that well, but he probably picked it up pretty cheap. And I played a lot of the games over that guy's house, and my father would go over there. You know, every couple weeks we'd go over and... Um, my dad would talk to this guy. They'd have coffee and smoke and talk. And, uh, again, they're boring adults doing boring adult things at the time. So I just played a lot of games. And I played a lot of games. As guys I remember playing Robin Hood, which was an NES RPG, which, uh, pro tip, Duncan, who's blind in the movie, is also, it's based off the movie with Kevin Costner. You could use it. He was a party member in, your, uh, in the game, and you could use him for a mule. So you could just put all of your stuff on him and just keep playing the game, which was great. Um, and I played tons of games. Uh, I remember Robin Hood for some reason because it, it was so obscure it stuck out. But I remember I just picked up Crystallis and started playing it, which I guess in Japan it was called uh, The God Slayer, which the SNK collection has a massive, like a history section. They have old newspaper prints and like magazine uh, prints of like promotional material for the game and the old Japanese cover for the game on the NES. And it looked much different. Ours was more of a painted artwork guy in the forest killing demons and theirs was more anime inspired so really sparse background two anime characters long story short the game was great and i couldn't for some reason i just couldn't stop playing it i had played zelda and stuff like that i mean that's probably the biggest comparison would be to the original legend of zelda you know you move around in overworld finding items opening doors finding secret passages trying to figure out kind of what's going on in this world apparently there was a catastrophe. Uh, the people that survived made a floating city to stay away from the, basically the the world because it was dangerous. Mutants had grown up, and they vowed to never, you know, to never make the same mistakes again. Now it was kind of weird. There's transliteration problems because um, you know if everything's great, apparently not. Apparently there's some people on the surface, so I don't understand how this all gets together. But there's people on the surface that are still trying to survive. And they see the people up in the clouds, and they, they don't understand what's going on. So you are awakened uh, in a cryo chamber, which is cool for almost a medieval game, you know? You have a cryo chamber in the beginning, and uh, you wake up, and uh, it basically starts your adventure. You run around the overworld, you get a sword, just like Zelda, based on an element, and there's four swords. There's um, I haven't played the game in a while, I haven't got that far, I kind of don't want to ruin it, my memory's bad. But you get a sword of the wind to begin, you get $100 because they basically want you to start your journey. And they do use a dollar sign, which I thought was cool. Um, you kill enemies, get a couple of XP, and then get money. You don't, uh, you don't get full health or more health from uh, leveling up. What happens is when you level up, you're able to attack higher level creatures. So level one, I went to attack some creatures, there was a ting sound so it means you're not doing any damage and then i died because i forgot about the manual save it only took a few minutes to get back to where i was because uh, everything's going a lot faster and so you do that and uh, when i got to level two i started being able to attack those creatures so uh i think so what made it so great for me is yes it's a lot like zelda but it's also really colorful there's purples and greens and uh zelda at the time had those but for some reason this was in 90 so this was you know uh what the NAS came out in 85 here in the States. So that's five years of them making games. Uh, and also I was reading, you know, so anyway, so they're making games and they're getting better at making games, which I think is pretty cool. And then on top of it, um, 
reading the promotional material, they had like a little history lesson on the side in the SNK collection. And they were saying that SNK really didn't do any RPGs. And even to this day, they said people love the game, which I love the game. It's my favorite game of all time. And I'll tell you why I was getting to it. It's a long winded thing. Um, but what I really like about it is, um, this is a thing I talked about in the earlier episode with my father, so this does have to do with my father a little bit, but he never really judged me for playing again. He would sit on the couch and smoke cigarettes and watch me play games, and this is one of them where I beat my head against the wall. I was a younger guy trying to figure stuff out, and I would just I'd sit there and figure things out, and it was really cool, and he would sit there and watch me. So he never, again, judged me for playing games, you know? And on top of it, uh, I threw a tantrum. It was around my birthday or Christmas. They're both in the month of December, and I wanted the game because I played it over at his friend's house so much that... Um, I just wanted it really bad, and, and I actually asked the guy, you know, would you sell it? Uh, at the time, I didn't have a job, so I think when I, I was asking that, I think my dad got the hint that, like, he wanted, I wanted him to buy it for me, so, which is, you know, something you do when you're a kid, uh, you know, yeah, I have $3,000 on me, I'm gonna buy this game, no, um, so what happened was my father bought me jeans for my birthday, just blue jeans, and I needed jeans for school or whatever, and I remember freaking out, like, yelling at him, like, because I wanted the game, and it seemed weird for me to yell at him to buy me jeans. Like, I basically threw a tantrum, and I was being a little, you know, a little shithead. And uh, my dad, I don't know if this was planned all along. He didn't bring it up or anything, but uh, he got me the jeans before my birthday because, you know, anyway. Um, like, a week later, I got the game, and he wrapped it in a shoebox. Uh, just like he wrapped the jeans in a shoebox, which I think was a message like, hey, Way to go, you little asshole. You got what you wanted. But long story short, I love the game. I played it uh, as much as I could. Um, it did the old system uh, where you had to hold reset and hit power to save your game. There was no, you know, save, yes. Um, you could hit save in the game, but you had to do that to make sure that it saved your progress. Um, so I'll get back to that later. So again, love this game. was telling... My friends about it, no one had heard of it. I guess it was pretty obscure, even at the time, which is weird because, again, I love the game. But uh, so I was playing the game, playing the game, and I got stuck. Uh, well, like midway through, it's one of those things where in the summer when everybody's outside, you know, riding their bikes and everything, I was in my mother's basement uh, and I was playing the game. So, yeah, typical gamer thing of I don't want to. You know, I don't want to talk to people. And the cool thing was one of my relatives worked at a TV shop, a TV repair shop. So he gave me, this is like a 92 or 93, a 19-inch European TV with eight channels. I had to get an adapter for the back, but it was a 19-inch TV. So if, if you know anything about back then in the 90s, early 90s, I mean, I, this was amazing. This was like a, I was, this was like an LED back then. You had a, I had a large screen, and I literally, this was my setup. So I had the TV, the NES, all my game sensors, and I had two cinder blocks on a piece of white uh, melamine particle board. So uh, a shelf that I found somewhere, the TV was on there, uh, and my gaming system. And I just sat down there and played Crystallis pretty much all summer. Looking back at it, I don't think that I uh, needed to spend that long playing the game. I probably could have beat it, but you know, you're you're exploring games, you're you're grinding, you're just messing around, and uh, it was really fun. And I remember, I think midway through the game, I think it was level thirteen or fourteen, uh, I did the thing where you save, you hit reset, you hit power, and boom, my game saved. Well, like the next day, I went back, hit power. All of a sudden, it's like start new game, no option to continue. 
so I, f- I'm, I'm just, I flipped out, you know, this is hours of my summer. And, um, and then, uh, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. So you, back in the day you would call Nintendo had a tip line, the Nintendo power tip line. And I called and they have codes and things and how to get through stuff. And, um, I called the person and told him what happened. And I said, I know I have to save. I, I guess I didn't save right. You know, you do that thing so much, it just becomes an automatic action. I didn't do it right. So the guy, I hear him type on a keyboard. He looks at, you know, I hear him say, yep, I see where you're at. Because I described in the game where I was at. He said, I'm looking at the screen. Is this where you're at? Yep, that's where I'm at. He says, well, I hate to tell you this, but you didn't save. So you have to start all over again. And he was very quiet. He said, I'm sorry to tell you that. And I said, all right, man. Well, thanks. And I mean, probably not like that. Uh, I maybe cursed. I don't remember. So I remember hanging up and then just going straight down to the basement and starting all over again. So, you know, there's, there's times like that where you can quit or you can keep going. And I, it's stupid and small, but I, like, I kept going. So uh, I, I got back to the point where I was in a few days, uh, I think a week, because obviously you know, okay, I got to do this, I got to do that. You know, you just did everything. So I got back to that point and then I got farther in the game. And the... I remember back in the day, the game ends, you go up to the tower, up in the sky, and you basically have to fight the computer, which is Crystallis. Or no, I'm sorry, your sword is Crystallis. You combine the elemental swords, you have the fire, uh, wind, water, I think a thunder. You combine them, and it basically becomes uh, it basically becomes Crystallis. So instead of shooting different colored energy, it shoots one big ball of energy. You have to fight this big computer at the end, which is pretty cool. Uh, and I remember that. But like three quarters of the way through the game, after I had done this thing where I lost my save and got back to the save, I was stuck. Again, there was a, a, a literal maze at the end. Uh, they, they, the place was called Sticks, and there was a river. So they were probably not, I don't know if that was a translation thing or they were trying to be clever. But So you're basically on the river Sticks trying to get through this maze area, and I was stuck. Days and days I was there just trying to, okay, I went up, I went down, I wrote stuff down. Okay, I went up here, went down, and I was still getting stuck. And I just happened to be at school. And, uh, you know, all my friends and I, we played uh, traded Nintendo Power magazines. And it was a big, big issue of Nintendo Power. And it uh, it was, um, they were advertising something on it, not, not Crystallis. It was some other big game. And it, uh, like Metroid uh, something, I don't know. And uh, some big game on the cover. Long story short, on one of the bylines, because they'd always have little text for things that were below what they were, uh, what they were selling or promoting or whatever. It would just say, in, you know, small, you know, in small text, map for this, map for that, tips for this. And on the last line or in the middle line, it said uh, the last levels of the second half of Crystallis mapped, and it blew me away. So this is just something like my friends are like, have you read this on? Metroid or something or whatever they're promoting and I was like can I borrow this right away and uh, so we traded a magazine or something and I borrowed it and what they did those brilliant people in Nintendo Power had mapped out the labyrinth of sticks and you folded it out you know it was like a two page map that you folded out with the the path you need to take here with little tips like oh if you go left instead of right you'll pick up you know a healing item or whatever and that just blew me away so I'd been stuck on this thing for days, if not weeks, and then I went back, fired it up, went home, beat it that night with this map, and just felt amazing. So it was the first time a walkthrough actually helped, and it wasn't a rumor, because it seems like back then a lot of walkthroughs were your friends 
doing stuff and really lying to you. I mean, we all did it, right? Like, oh, I beat that boss. He was really easy. You just got to stand in the corner and shoot his eye or something like that. And most of the time, people just lied. So, you know, did you know there's a code like Mario can infinite jump? Some of them were true, like the Mega Man one, where if you did the controller held left on the second controller, if you plugged it in when it was only one player, then Mega Man would basically be immortal. But it was more hit. It was more missed than hit, I think. So this was a time where I was like, oh, my God. Now, again, I overcame adversity the first time. And I'm not a big enough person to say that I don't want to use a walkthrough because I was stuck on this thing, just stuck. So I used the walkthrough and I was able to beat it. Just beat that section of the game. You know, get through it. There's a boss at the end. I beat him. And it blew me away. It just totally blew me away. And um, it just floored me to be able to do that. And then and then I continued the rest of the game. I think I used the walkthrough a little bit, but then I stopped. And I beat the game normally. Uh, and I think, if I remember right, I beat it at my father's house. And he watched me again sitting on the couch uh, drinking coffee. Uh, smoking cigarettes, watching me beat the game. And I just still think about the game a lot to this day. It was just one of those things where it was one of the games I remember rolling credits on. I didn't do that back in the day. You know, even to this day, there's so many games, there's so many things going on. You sometimes don't roll credits on a lot of games. And I remember rolling credits on that game. You know, I remember the credits going by with the creator. There's a cut scene at the end. Uh, You know, it shows your character looking over a forest and it was so colorful. You know, like, again, there was greens, and your character was purple, and there was hills. Everything was used in a different color than Zelda, which was very colorful, but some of the colors were muted compared to Crystallis. Um, but it's just one of those things where I just thought it was, like, really amazing. And I think that's why it's always stuck with me. It's because one of, it's one of the very few games when I was younger I remember beating. It's just, like, people who remember, uh, you know, playing Super Mario 64 or playing the first original Zelda, Legend of Zelda, which I played but never beat it because it was so big and daunting to me. And Crystallis was much more linear. You could grind out and get money and do stuff like that, but there was a... It wasn't just like, go beat Ganon. You know, that's kind of the thing in Legend of Zelda in the beginning. Triforce gets ripped apart, you know, or whatever, destroyed, separated, and you have to find parts of it, and then you beat Ganon. This was very much like, go here to do this. Go there to do that. Do this over here. Do this over here. Do this over there. And then you would go do it, and then it would, like, progress the story. You know, there were scenes where you would... There's a part in the game I remember where you got an item, like a bracelet, and you could start talking to animals. And in the very first town in the game, there's a rabbit. And, of course, you don't know what he's saying. Because he's a rabbit. He makes a rabbit noise through translation. And you go back and you talk to him. And, unfortunately, like one of his caretakers or his caretaker died or something. I have to get to that point in the game. I really... I, it's a hazy memory. But basically what happens is you, you this person dies and you try to save them, but something happens and they die. You go back and talk to the rabbit and you say, like... You're, you know, your caretaker died, I'm sorry. And the rabbit uh, helps you in a quest, you know. And it's it, it was it's just really weird. There was just a lot of planning. Like, you, you would go back to the first town and there was people, the conversations would change based on what you've done before. They would remember if you uh, destroyed a, you know, a villain in a poisonous swamp or something like that. Like, all that stuff. There was actually a piece written in Kotaku about two weeks ago about the game, which I think was pretty amazing because I don't hear a lot about it. I mean, uh, again, it's got a good fan base, but... You know, you don't hear about stuff like this. So uh, it, it, it's really blowing me away, and it's really bringing me back uh, nostalgia-wise. I was smart enough. Uh, I did die right before I started recording this again in the game. But I was smart enough to save probably like 10 minutes before I died. So, uh, you know, good for me. 
Um, <laughs> I think uh, I'll have to get in the old habit of doing the Uber save where you, and this game is all about items. You get an item to do this, you get an item to do that. Um, I think what's going to happen is I'm going to have to um, just get used to Uber saving and doing things like that because that, that'll be important. I think um, I got... The sword of wind and I got the ball of wind so you actually hold down the button and it charges up just like uh, Zelda but instead of when you get hit instead of you losing a charge you can always charge the sword up so now instead of one charge I have two charge so your sword shoots something more powerful um, just stuff like that that I remember is really cool and uh, I'm gonna beat it I'm gonna beat the game and I'll get back to you guys when I do that um, but the other thing I want to talk to you guys about uh, was that I have been um, again all kinds of board games so I've been playing not a board game, but I've been playing. Uh, I've been playing Dragon Age, the pen and paper RPG, and I've been planning the campaign. And to do that, anybody that knows pen and paper role playing games or anything like that, is you have to plan out a campaign. I really like to be a little bit more freeform, so I, I don't ever, um, you know, I don't. I have a. I have everything is really broad strokes. You know, nothing's really, really, really um, set in stone. So. I have, it's a small group, uh, one person has never played before and they're actually really enjoying it. They made a, a Quinari, which is a race of tall humanoids that basically have uh, horned heads and he's been exiled from his land and he's living well, of all of us normies. And there's another character that has played a few pen and paper games before, but he's never played Dragon Age, but he really likes Dragon Age, so he's um, playing a mage. And um, they're both really enjoying it. And I have a character because I wanted to play this game years ago, but the group we had fell through and stuff like that. Um, but what it's making me do is it's forcing me to be creative again, something that I haven't done in a while. You know, I'm writing out the campaign. I have They have found books in their travels. And what I'm doing is uh, sending them, which I have to send them as a second passage, but I'm sending them passages of the books they've found. So as they're reading it, I the way I pitch it to them, I was like, you can read this. It's in your native language because everywhere has their own language, but everybody has like a trade tongue. And so basically um, what it's doing is I'm sending them passages from this book. So I said, listen, this is like reading old English. You can read it, but it takes a little bit and it takes you a little bit of time to read it. So um, that's what I'm doing. I have to, like, I've already done one section of the book that they found that I've sent to them and they've already gone through their characters are already level eight. And that was from level one. So we've met, and we've met, men. <laughs> we've met uh, every other week, sometimes every week, just to get caught up. They have at level six, you get to specialize in your class, meaning you, you know, if you're a mage, you can be like a blood mage or a spirit mage or uh, like a like a warrior mage or something like that. If you're a warrior, you can be, you know, like a berserker. You can be a reaver, which basically uses blood magic, like all these things. And and we've all role played. I met each character separately, um, so it was a one-on-one -on -one session, and we role-played them going through their specialization because they have their own mission to do. And again, what it's done is it's forced me to be creative again. Not forced me, I'm not going to say that, but it's allowed me to be creative again. And um, I like to write. That's kind of what I do, hopefully, as a hobby. And um, this kind of makes me think about it in a way, you know, because there's been a lot going on with work. And personally, obviously, if you listen to the other episodes, you know what's been going on. It's kind of a big damper. And you don't really know if you'll ever be able to create again or anything like that. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know. 
but I, I enjoy that it's putting me in this position where I, I'm allowed to create and feel okay in creating instead of in doing it in front of a group. Um, you know, they're honest. There's one section of the campaign that was a little bit slower than the other ones. I was trying to set some up, some things up, so there wasn't combat. There was a lot of talking. They were finding out secrets, things like that. I think they had one combat encounter, you know. Uh, they had a, a vision, so that's always really weird. I'm not doing the trite thing where you make the you make the whole thing a dream. I've heard people doing that before, and that kind of upsets me. I also have a rule that I don't really like spiders in games, so they're not fighting giant spiders. Um, I always think spiders are like those low-level enemies you don't know what to do, so you just make people fight a spider. So, um, But they're really enjoying it. But the, the, the last section that was fairly slow... And they said, yeah, it was kind of slow, but we did enjoy the story, you know, like the idea that we're learning this information, kind of pushing forward. Well, this next, uh, the last campaign, I, th- I'm recording this on Sunday, we did another campaign together last uh, yesterday on Saturday, and they, uh, it was more combat. And um, I, think I, need to, I think I'm kind of a nice GM. It didn't seem like they got hurt a lot. Um, but I think what it is is they were fighting kind of low-level enemies, and I was trying to make things kind of introductory. You know, some of that is a little bit of a bait and switch where you think, well, this would be pretty easy, you know. But when you start fighting bigger enemies, it's going to get more difficult. And I think in the next few levels, um, I want them to uh, I want them to experience like a siege. So that'll be really interesting to experience a siege with their characters. And I also alluded. You know, when everybody's getting to know each other, I'm playing an NPC or my character as well as the NPCs. And so everybody was getting to know each other. Some people didn't want to talk as much as the other, which makes sense. But they asked my character what uh, he had and, you know, or about him, not what he had, about him and his past. And I mentioned that uh, my character had a younger brother. And really, this is a stopgap because my specialization was a Grey Warden, which, if you know about Dragon Age, is like a. You know, they they uh, basically kill these creatures called the Darkspawn, which are like demons, basically. And going through the ritual to become a Grey Warden can kill you. So my uh, thing of telling everybody that I had a younger brother was a stopgap in case my character died during a specialization. I could roll up this younger brother and kind of join the campaign later. Um, but uh, that didn't happen. Uh, my wife watched as I rolled uh, the different checks in the game. I made it a little bit more difficult. Uh, but I rolled some checks and I passed. So my character basically became a Grey Warden. So a friend of mine who also games but hasn't in a while, I texted him a few weeks ago and said, hey, um, do you just want to do, he's got kids, he's very busy, but I said, would you like to do one session, which would be a day, and we'll roll up my younger brother, you'll play my younger brother, and we'll meet um, you know, during the campaign like on the road. And he was actually very interested in that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see him come into the group for maybe a session or two. I'm thinking it's just going to be one. But... Um, so it's cool. Again, it's a way to be creative again, you know. It's helped me. Um, just writing again helps, you know, that kind of, like, outlet to do that. So, And this podcast has helped, too. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's great. And it's uh, it's kind of, like, revitalizing that in me again, you know, the, the idea that you want to create and do something. So, um, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. Um, if you want to get a hold of me again, the website is, the address is GWG. J-A-C at Outlook.com. And uh, if you want to leave a comment uh, below one of the podcasts, you can do that. I'm still working on a 
Um, I'm working on a uh, uh, some kind of logo for the website uh, right now. Again, it's just a photo of Mita Cruz, which I'm pretty happy in that photo. But I want to see if I can do something different. And uh, you know, uh, I'm gonna do that, and then I'm gonna try to get it to iTunes. So those are the two things that I have to do: is I have to get it to uh, get the logo for it, and then submit that to iTunes. And I'll actually probably start promoting this on social media. I have a Twitter account and everything. Um, I'll reach out to people on that. I don't have a lot of followers or anything, and, but I do follow a lot of people. So maybe if they see me tweet something out like that, maybe they will, um, you know, maybe they'll uh, respond or, you know, some of those things you try to reach out a little bit and see if somebody's going to show up or whatever. So, um, yeah, so I'll still be playing Crystallis. I'm going to attempt to write next week uh, an actual fiction. And then um, after that, uh, I'll give you guys a report when I finish Crystallis and what I've written and how the campaign's going. And then if anybody has any kind of, uh, you know, pointers on anything else, uh, any other podcast or anything, or if you want to write in, if you have a question or maybe an experience you want to share, you can. Again, the address is gwgjac at, uh, game, at outlook. Or sorry, jwg gwgjac at outlook.com sorry um and again if you don't want me to read it i won't read it on the air if you want me to read it on the air say something like yes you can read this or no you don't read this so um have a good weekend guys and have a good week and i'll see you in a week uh this is joe carlson with gaming grief and uh, talk to you guys again